it's always nice to come into God's house and to sing songs together. I can't think of any other time during the week where I know I don't. I don't think of many other people that get together and just sing songs corporately. It's not common. And so to come and do that and to show the unity that we have in singing songs together and the love and the adoration that we have for Christ is such a wonderful experience. Last week was Easter. This week is the first Sunday after Easter. So we're starting a new series. Um, I'm actually a little jet-lagged because I enjoyed, not from traveling, but just from Scripture. We've had uh, eight or nine weeks of the Lent series that culminated at Easter. And so we're starting fresh. And so when you start something fresh, it's exciting, but there's always a lot of front work that you have to do. So I've done a lot of reading this week, enough to do probably a 15 to 20 page sermon, but I narrowed it down to five, okay, because I I didn't figure you would want to be here that long. But Philippians is a fantastic letter for us to dive into verse by verse, and the big idea today is the main idea for the whole letter itself. God always finishes what he starts. Now, Philippians is a letter that is written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote this letter to a specific church that was residing in Philippi. That's in northern Greece. In our Bibles, this letter is simply referred to as the book of Philippians. It was the first place in Europe, this is interesting, this is the first place in Europe that heard the news that there was a new king on the throne, a king that had been crucified and had been resurrected from the dead, specifically Jesus of Nazareth. And you can read all about Paul's first uh, journey into Philippi in Acts chapter 16. It's a little interesting. I would encourage you to do that at some point, unless you don't like stories about Paul casting out a demon from a lady, being arrested for that because he took away these, their owner's profit. She was no longer profitable for them. Yes, I said owners. She was owned by people. He was put in jail. He and Silas were beaten for that. While he was in jail, there was an earthquake, and the doors came open. The guard came in and thought, oh, snap, they're about to kill me, because if your prisoners escape, it was not uncommon for that guard to be killed, because he had failed. So he had withdrawn his sword, and he was about to kill himself, and Paul said, wait, 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 we're still here, man. But, you know, it's not really interesting. You may not want to read it. It's a powerful picture of God's grace when you see his first visit into Philippi. Paul is an apostle. He's not just a a Christian, someone who is doing something because he believes the Lord is doing it, but he is someone that God himself has anointed as a man, an apostle of King Jesus. And he's found himself in prison as he writes this letter. Not in Philippi, he's not in prison there, he's in a different prison. And he's writing this letter. He's suffering again for preaching the good news of Jesus. And he's writing this letter to this church that he saw begin. He saw God start a church through him with these people in the very beginning. And he's seeing how God's grace is not just stopping there, but they're growing in their faith. And their lives are stirred so much that they're partnering with him in the gospel. They're helping him out. They're joining with him on the mission to see 
the world embrace the new king, specifically Jesus. So look with me, if you will, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. We'll start there. So he's writing to them, and he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my, partner, or my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And this is a key verse. Verse 6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God always finishes what he starts. Paul has confidence throughout this entire letter. It's exuding confidence that God is not just someone who starts things, but he's one who finishes things. And he says, God's begun a work of grace within you. And he's going to finish that through the gospel with you, the church, the Christians in Philippi. And verse 6 is the theme or the motto of this entire letter. That's the one, if you're going to memorize one from this letter, this would be the one to do it. He's saying, the God who began a work in you, a good work in you, will complete it by the day of King Jesus. Now, Paul had a lot of joy in his heart when he wrote this letter. Granted, he loved all the people, the Christians that he wrote letters to, but we see throughout this letter that there was this type of joy and love within him that was heartfelt more than the others. This church, while Paul was in prison, prison, gave sacrificially, and they put themselves at risk by raising money and then sending it to him. So they raised money, gave sacrificially, but then they had to send someone to do that, and it was dangerous for them to do that, to carry the money to him. Look with me again in the same chapter, verses 7 and 8 as we see these heartfelt words for him. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers. And that word also means partners. You are also partners with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of, and that means bolstering up the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you, all with the affection or with the love of Christ Jesus. Paul is in prison. Unlike today where you get three squares a day and TV, it was not something, uh, food was not something that the captors gave to the prisoners. They were very dependent upon family and friends to, to provide for them in their prison time. And this letter shows us how deep of a partnership and what this partnership means in Christian language. Also, the word fellowship gets used here. I grew up in a church, and sometimes when we say fellowship, we just mean we're going to get together and have a meal together. That's one type of fellowship, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. The term he's using here is like a business partnership. They're in the gospel business. They're taking care of each other. Your business is my business, not like putting your nose in other people's business, but your mission is my mission. And so much so that I'm going to sacrificially give to see this mission accomplished. And so we see their financial gifts that we see later on proves their partnership, their sacrificial giving, and that they are partners not just in the gospel, but they're also partners in grace. 
And Paul does something too. He exudes confidence. And I want us as believers to also have this kind of confidence that he has. Not cockiness and not confidence in ourselves, but confidence that God always finishes what he starts. A confidence in what God is doing. He's confident when he prays for them. He knows that the the gospel message of grace does its life-changing work in the hearts of people. When that happens, when the gospel has this life-changing effect in the hearts of people, it won't be a short-lived experience that we soon cast away. At the big, um, there's a, there's a, a genuine faith in Christ Jesus. When, when there's that genuine faith in Christ Jesus, a genuine loyalty to him as your king, then it's going to be because the living God is working in you. It's not something that you have decided to do, but it is God initiating a work with you. At the beginning of the year, I committed myself to exercise four days a week. This Tony Horton video, in 10 minutes, yeah, you got the time. Just 10 minutes. Anybody can do it in 10 minutes, right? I can do this four days a week. So the first week, there's holidays, and you know, you're recovering from all the time off, and I, didn't really, I took that week off. You know. But the next week, I committed, I got on board with it, and you know, I had to adjust to this new regimen, so twice that week, I worked out. And I am, I can say today that I have successfully ignored that commitment ever since then. I've forgotten it. Evidently, there wasn't enough heart change within me to want to continue along that path, and I think I've done the video exercise once since then. It didn't last. The truth be told, the thought of working out was much more attractive to me than actually doing it. I didn't finish what I started. Sometimes our faith can be like this. We set out to do something and we make a commitment and we don't finish what we set out to do. You know, the gospel is so deep and God's grace is so unbelievably wonderful that we often miss growing in our faith because we start, start substituting other things for the gospel. We start bringing other things in to make us about ourselves. Maybe church attendance. You know, I haven't missed church in 18 weeks. I'm going to church all the time. I feel good about myself. I have lots of friends at church. There's social, social, ugh, socialization at church. I'm enjoying my time with people. Connect groups, they're going great. I'm really plugging in. I'm learning so much. Music, I love the music. Good works. I'm doing good things. You know, I'm doing better things in my life now. Maybe defeating bad habits. You know, it's been months since I fill in the blank. We start to do things, and they can be good things, but they start to replace the gospel power in our life. And we'll find ourselves setting ourselves up for failure and also believing that God has deserted us when the truth is, in those moments, we are not depending on God. These good things take the place of God's grace in our hearts. We start to feel really good about what we have done and we forget, like the song said, only you are worthy. We forget that nothing good 
can come through us apart from God's grace. But that through God's grace, we are more than conquerors. There is power, but it's not ours. When we stop relying on the gospel, when we stop going to King Jesus and kneeling before him in worship, when we stop submitting our lives to God and recognizing him as our master, then we're heading down the wrong path. We're stopping, we've hit the stop button on our growth in faith, and we're going to hinder God's work in our lives. But if our faith is in the good news of King Jesus who has defeated death, if our lives are submitted to him and our hearts are actively trusting in him, then God will finish what he started. We don't need to stop believing in God the way we started believing in God. It doesn't change. Paul mentioned, or fortunately, God is not going to be like us and our workout videos or whatever it is that you have stopped doing. He doesn't lack the desires or capabilities to accomplish the mission. He finishes what he starts. And so Paul understands that when we live a life with constant dependency upon God, we will live a life where we see God completing things through us and growing us. Look with me as he prays for them. He mentions that he prays for them in verse 9, and, or before that, and then he tells us in verse 9 how he prays for them specifically. Verse 9 it says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So if you want, you can make some notes on the back of your worship folder if you want, but there's three ways that we can see how Paul prays for them. And this is how we should be praying for ourselves and also praying for one another. He prayed with them in three ways. In verse 9, we see him pray for this. He prayed that their love would overflow in knowledge and wisdom. I pray that your love would overflow in knowledge and wisdom. We don't normally think of love Matching up with knowledge and wisdom. We think of love like, I saw her the first day of class in college and I fell in love with her. I had butterflies. She was the most gorgeous thing I had ever seen in my life. That's what we think about love. Emotions. But for Paul, he's saying these emotions, these affections, they're not separated from knowledge and wisdom. God doesn't separate them. They go together. The heart and the head are not separated. Genuine Christian love, which is love for God and love for people, is more than emotion, and it's even more than book learning. There's a knowledge. There's this deep insight into the way God's world truly is. Oh, this is the way God's world is. Then this is open to everyone who is prepared to give themselves wholeheartedly to love God through Jesus. This is how he prays for them, that they would overflow in knowledge. Their love would overflow in knowledge and wisdom. The second way he prays for them, in verse 10, he prays that their wise love will result in moral discernment. That they would be able to understand what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. They, the church at Philippi, they lived in a world where lines were blurred. 
It was difficult to discern what was right and what was wrong, and it's often hard to, to discern that. And we live in the same kind of world. We have a lot of topics that are hot in our culture, and people have different views on different things. And so it's difficult for us to discern what is right and what is wrong in many times. But Paul desires for them to grow in this discernment. And he, he shows that when we do grow, we will rejoice. When we start to understand, okay, this is good and this is evil. When we start to live by what is good, then we're going to look forward to the day of Christ. When Christ returns to establish his kingdom in full, we're going to embrace that and we're going to look forward to that with great joy and confidence because it is the true king, it is our king who is coming to establish justice. That's the second way he prays. The third way he prays is this. He prays that they may be filled to overflowing with the fruit of right living. Look in verse 11. That they may be filled to overflowing with the fruit of right living. Now the original translation here, or the original word Paul uses, can be translated righteousness. And that's the way it is in the, uh, the scriptures that we're using here too. But this word righteousness can have many different connotations to it and many different meanings depending on how Paul or the author uses it. It can mean a couple of things. It can mean that we are for, uh, forgiven family members of God. Number one, righteousness. We are forgiven family members of God. And it can also mean and refer to the faithfulness of God. So it's referring to him. But here, he's emphasizing the behavior. He's emphasizing our behavior, which results from God's faithfulness and results from the status of being forgiven family members of God. In, in their actions, their, their life, their words, their attitudes, all forms of behavior, he wants them to be overflowing with right living, righteousness. I only desire the good things. Now, I've struggled in my personal life with many different sins at different points in my life, and marriage has exposed selfishness in ways I never knew was there. Fatherhood has exposed it, I think, even greater than the marriage one, even though the marriage one still shows me how selfish I am. Being a pastor has shown me how easy it is to be entrapped in, in sins of pride and, and desiring people to respect you or, or desiring uh, something that may mask itself as good. There's selfishness that creeps within our heart. There's, there's lust. There's greed. There's pride. All of these things, they come in and they're, they're sinful and they're, they're trying to take us away from God's truth. In every facet of life, God will expose that our hearts are still yearning in some ways, not for God's kingdom, but for our own. It's a constant struggle. We will battle with this selfishness and lust and greed and pride and other sins until this life is completed. It will be a battle. But God doesn't want us to fight this battle. The battle has already been fought. The battle over these things, these sins, has been fought and has been won. And Jesus has been found victorious. God wants us to turn to him for his victory and for his power. This is the truth of the gospel. The gospel is without God, we are condemned. There is nothing that we can do 
to make it right again. But the gospel also tells us that Jesus has done everything that was impossible for us. And through him, not only are we forgiven and allowed into God's presence, but through faith in Christ and his work, we are faithful members of God's family, his chosen holy ones. God always finishes what he starts. So my question, has God started a work in you? His work only starts through repentance. Repentance is a desperate cry for mercy. Repentance is calling out to God to save me. It's calling out to God not because we have been faithful, but it's asking him to forgive us because of his faithfulness. This same way we begin a membership into God's family is the way we continue to grow as a child of God. It's through repentance. It's how we become more holy. We only will grow through repentance. It's a desperate cry for mercy based on the fact that he is faithful, not that we are. As someone who gets up on Sunday morning and prepares to come and share God's word, who has chosen words that week that he would like to take back, who has lost his temper that week, even though they shouldn't have walked because it was telling them to stop and they hindered my turn. It's glaringly, or yeah, it's, it just stares right at me. It's, it's so obvious that I am not worthy to preach the holy word of God. You are not worthy to be in God's presence, just like I am not. But the gospel tells us Jesus is worthy. And when we place our faith in him, when we turn from sin and we turn to him, then we are welcomed into God's family. We are free and we are able to be used by God to share this gospel of grace with those in our life. And it's a, it's a desperate, it's a, Christianity is a life of repentance. It's a constant desire for God's will to be done in our lives. God, I really messed that up. I'm so sorry. I don't want to be my own king. I don't want to have my will be done. I want your will to be done. God, I desire for you to be praised in my life, not myself. And I want to submit my life to you and acknowledge you that you are my king. We live in a democratic society, so the thought of a king is foreign to a lot of us, literally, because we don't have a king. I don't think any of us would bow down and do our allegiance to the president, no matter if we voted for him or not. He's not our king. He is a president. We still honor him, but he's not a king. And Jesus is a king that demands our worship because he is worthy. 
And so just to show you that Paul practiced what he preached as far as submitting his life to God, I want us to quickly look at this next section of Scripture that he wrote. Now remember, Paul is doing what God told him to do, and he's found himself in prison doing just what God told him to do. And not only is he in prison, but he's facing trouble while he's in prison. Some people are preaching the gospel, they're talking about Christ, and they're doing it to mock him, to add more to his conflict. So how does he respond? Look in verse 12 and following. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now remember, he's gone through beatings, all kinds of torture, and now he's found himself in prison. He's saying, I want you to know what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now some indeed preach or proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition or jealousy. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, or he's saying whether they mean it or not, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. To live is Christ. Yes, I will rejoice. Paul recognizes that what others are meaning for evil, that God is going to use for good. Even though some are trying to hurt him, cause more trouble for him in captivity, he's celebrating the fact that even though they're doing this to get at me, guess what? They're proclaiming Christ, and I'm rejoicing because that's my goal in life. That's my mission, to proclaim Christ. So even when our good plans are ruined by others, even when our lives become more difficult because people are trying to make it tough for us, we can still celebrate like Paul did. We can have that power because God works through our problems and our difficulties. God will use the bad in our life for good. So let that encourage you as you certainly face opposition in your life. Many times, though, the opposition that is greatest to us isn't out there coming at us. Most of the time, the greatest opposition we have in our faith comes from within our own hearts. When we find ourselves angry and wrathful, jealous, wanting more for ourselves, We find ourselves wanting to please ourselves. You know, I'm sick of serving others. It's time for me to look out for me. We selfishly want more. I just can't get enough of the new gadgets. When we find ourselves in any of those scenarios, I hope the light bulb comes on and we realize that that is not God working in us. That's not a fruit of his world. At that moment, what is happening is we have taken him off of the throne in our life 
and we have replaced him with an idol called self. I no longer want to be submitted to you, Jesus, but I'm going to do things my way, like Frank Sinatra or John Bon Jovi. I think he talked about it's my life. It's now or never. I want to do it my way. When we find ourselves in that situation, where we find ourselves, you know what? The biggest problem is not out there. The biggest problem I have in my life right now is right here. I'm just rebellious. I am just sick of it, and and, and I want these things, and I'm not getting it. I want to share some good news with you. You ready? God always finishes what he starts. That's good work. What does that mean? That means it's time for us to enter into his presence through repentance. It's time for us to get back with God in the same manner with which we first entered into his family. The same way we became a member of God's family is the same way that we are to grow in our righteousness. It's the same way in which those sins will no longer become a burden to us or be captive, held captive by them, but that we'll start to have victory over them. And that we can rejoice in the grace of God He's given us. You know, it's been years since I've ever struggled with this, and by God's grace alone. Not that I've done anything, but God has done this for me. He's changed my life. It's turning from them, those, those sins and it's submitting our lives in totality. Not just segments of our life, but all of our lives to him. Confessing him as king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when you live a life of trusting in Jesus, when you live a life of repentance and always depending upon his power and his presence in your life, then that is God working in you. That is God working in you to bring about to completion what he has started. And whenever God starts something, he always finishes. Repentance. Trusting in him. That is the key to experiencing the fact that God will finish whatever he starts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and I thank you so much that we can stand here today knowing that you are a God who has provided everything that we need. Father, I know that even this week, uh, I faced several challenges myself, and I know that it's very likely that many of us have failed in certain ways and said things we wish we could take back, done things we wish we hadn't, missed opportunities that we would love to go back and reclaim. Father, I pray that you would lead us to repent of those things, that we would turn away from them, that we would not desire anything other than your kingdom to come into our life, into our neighborhood, and that your will to be done in our lives as it is in heaven. Father, I pray that you would, through that repentance, bring joy, bring victory, bring uh, a, a confidence within us that we would see you do great things through our lives for your kingdom and for this city and our neighborhood. God, that you would do great things not because we are great people, but because we are a people who is calling out on a great and magnificent Savior. You are powerful, you are good, you are holy, and God, it is only through you, only through your power, only through your Holy Spirit that we will experience victory here. And so we ask today, 
for your mercy. We ask for your grace that you would pour it out upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. This next part, we're going to stand and sing a song. This is a time for us to respond to the message. And there's a couple ways you can respond. Number one, you can just stay where you are and, and sing the song. You can stay where you are and pray. But you may feel led today to come up and, and pray. We have some nice cushions. You can come down and kneel down at the altar. Just humble yourself before the Lord in his house. Say, God, I really need you right now. I've been trying this too much on my own, and I see where that's gotten me, and I failed. I need healing in my relationships. I need healing and provision at my job. And I can't fix it. But I'm going to call call on you today and ask you, the risen Savior, the King of kings, the finisher of our faith, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's in Hebrews. I'm going to ask you to fight this battle for me. I'm going to lay it down to you today, trusting that no matter if it's good or bad in my life, God, you're going to use it for good. If you'd like to pray with me or with Winter, I'll be standing over here. She'll be over here if you want someone to pray with. Maybe there's a sin or something that you're struggling with and you need to confess that to someone. And you need to hear that because of Jesus, you are forgiven. I want to invite you to do that. So let's stand together and let's sing this song and respond as God leads.